Hey guys, welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. As a longtime fashion blogger, I've loved connecting with my audience over the years on all things life, work, love, and everything in between. And I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I share personal life updates, recent recs and reviews, and discuss relevant, interesting topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. I am so glad you're here. So let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week so far. I am going to assume I am because I am halfway through my trip to Argentina as you guys are hearing this. I'm obviously recording this in advance, but I have had kind of a whirlwind last week. I, my sister got married, which of course I'll share more details on that in a few minutes. But then right after that wedding, I am flying to Argentina and will be there for about two weeks. So by the time you listen to this, I will already be in Argentina and I don't think I'm going to have time to record another episode episode before I leave. And due to weight restrictions with bags while I'm down there, I also cannot take recording equipment with me. So I probably will not have an episode out next week, but I will have a full trip recap coming to you as soon as I get back in town. So definitely stay tuned for that. And hopefully this fun episode will tide you over in the meantime. In this week's episode, I am interviewing Joanne King, who is the former executive editor of harpersbazaar.com. She is also one of the co-founders of Stylist, which is a swimwear company that has totally changed the game. I actually mentioned them on the podcast, I want to say around this time last year, because I bought two of their swimsuits last year and wore them all summer long. They are so cute on. They have so many great colors and prints. And most importantly, it's like shapewear for the pool, for the beach. It is so flattering. You feel so confident and just like pulled in and supported. It's the best, best swimwear. So I'm going to be talking with her all about her career in publishing, as well as launching this new business and how that's been going. So definitely stay tuned for that. But first, let's get into what I've been up to this last week. So obviously the biggest thing that happened last week and weekend was my sister got married. I drove down to Austin on Thursday and we had a kind of welcome dinner, if you will. Now I should say this wedding was family only. It was a very small, intimate situation. So for the welcome dinner, the rehearsal dinner and the wedding, it was my sister and her fiance, now husband, Matt, his brother, his parents, my mom and stepdad, and then me. And then on Sunday, we had a bigger brunch that featured more of our extended family, like step-siblings, cousins, and the like. But overall, it was just a really special, intimate family wedding. It was really, really lovely and got to spend some quality time with my mom and my sister, got to know Matt's family, which was really nice. But on Thursday night, we all had dinner at Ciclo, which is at the Four Seasons in Austin. And it was really lovely. We sat outside. It was kind of hot that night, but it cooled down when the sun went down, luckily. And we thoroughly enjoyed our dinner. The Parker House rolls are really, really delicious. Can't recommend them enough. They serve them with fresh honey and salted butter. It is so delicious. And then most of us had steaks and that was really great. And then the next night we went to Jay Carver's for the rehearsal dinner, which is my sister's very favorite restaurant. I think it's fairly new and it's by the same people that own and run Red Ash, which is another popular restaurant in Austin. I have I have been to Red Ash. I had not been to Jay Carver's before, but Jay Carver's definitely feels like a steakhouse. Lots of steak options. They also have like Dover Soul. It's a huge menu. It's 
very, very extensive, but everything was absolutely delicious. I will definitely be going back and totally can see why it's so popular. It's impossible to get a reservation, but they actually have a new private dining area that's you can seat up to 12 people in there. And there is, I think, a food and beverage minimum if you're going to rent out that space. And so that's where we had her rehearsal dinner. And there were only eight of us, but it was like the perfect size space for that. There was a TV so I could play the (laughs) slideshow that I created for my sister and Matt. And that actually turned out really cute. I used iMovie to put that together and it was fairly intuitive and easy if you're trying to make one yourself. But the food was so good. We ordered because there was a food and beverage minimum and my sister and Matt don't drink and our group was fairly small. We kind of ordered whatever we wanted. Like (laughs) I ordered caviar, people ordered beef tartare and lobster bisque. Several people ordered fancy steaks in Dover Soul. It was one of the most indulgent, decadent, luxurious meals I've probably ever had. It was really fun. (laughs) A couple standout items you can't miss if you go to Jay Carver's are the baked potato gnocchi, That was so freaking good. And it almost tasted even better the next day because the top is covered in cheese, but after you've reheated it, it really melts better. So I definitely recommend taking home leftovers if you end up with any. And then the other thing, the truffles that they serve with dessert. I don't know if you have to specifically ask for them or if they just come at the end of the meal with your check, but they were so delectable. The only thing that I have to say that's negative about the restaurant, it's really not that negative, but I didn't feel like the cocktails I ordered were that good. I ordered a Manhattan and then I ordered another drink that was, what was it called? The Notorious P.I.G. And I wish that he told us what the Notorious P.I.G. was served in because I wouldn't have ordered it. It looked like a tiki drink, like something you'd get in Hawaii. It's served in this like actual pig, ceramic pig thing. It just felt so silly. I really just wanted the beverage in like a tumbler or whatever. Um, So that was sort of ridiculous. And then Matt's mom ordered a cocktail and she thought it was too sweet. So I think the cocktails may need a little bit of work, but my mom loved the wine. It's a great wine list. Really can't say enough good things about Jay Carver. So if you're looking for a place to celebrate a birthday, date night, dinner, anniversary, whatever, something fun, go to Jay Carver's, make a reservation. It's awesome. The next morning, I drove over to Tiny Boxwoods and secured some breakfast goods for the group. Alexandra slept pretty late. She stayed over at my mom's house, of course, the night of the night before the wedding and brought that back. We had that. My mom and I went on a walk, which was actually such a mistake. We both felt so full and it was so freaking humid that morning. Luckily, it kind of evened out later on in the day because the wedding itself was outside at my mom's house and it was very touch and go with the weather for a bit. The forecast looked like rain. The radar was saying there was not going to be rain, but we just couldn't tell. And we had to make a concrete decision about where to install the flowers by like three o'clock. So we really had to commit and luckily the weather turned out just fine. It wasn't sunny, but it didn't rain on us. And honestly, that's the most important thing. David Curio, who is just like such a legend in Austin, he does so many flowers for various weddings and events and birthday parties and all kinds of social functions in Austin. Like he is the go-to in Austin. He's fabulous. And he's been a friend of our family for years. My mom has known him for decades And uh, he did the flowers at my mom's house on the railing. There were just these enormous bunches of like 
orchids and flowers and roses and peonies. I don't even know what else was in there. It was kind of dominated by the orchids, which looked so cool. And you could still see the view of Austin behind you. It was absolutely breathtaking. And then inside in the dining room, the formal dining room where we ate dinner, there were two enormous arrangements with the most beautiful pink peonies and uh, like a variety of other flowers. I am not a flower person. I do not know what the names of them are, but it was a lot of greens and pinks and white, and it just looked absolutely stunning. And then David Curio also brought over some sugar flowers to adorn the cake with because the caterer made the cake and we kept the design very simple with that so that the sugar flowers could kind of be the main event down, cascading down the cake. And it was absolutely stunning. So gorgeous. My sister looked absolutely breathtaking. She was wearing Valentino. It was a beautiful long sleeved mini dress with sort of a a bow detail, kind of a crystal bow detail across the chest. And she wore these Jimmy Choo. I want to say they're Flaca. F-L-A-C-A is the style. They're a mule and they've got embellishments and a bow. It was just such a beautiful look and she looked amazing. Matt looked great. He had a custom suit on. As far as music goes, for the ceremony, we had a string quartet. And then once we went back inside after family photos and the ceremony and all of that, we had the pianist from Terry House come and play piano. And it was really cool for a little bit. They overlapped and he collaborated with the string quartet. It was really fun. I posted a video about this on my Instagram stories, but I'll be sure to post one on the podcast page as well. So if you follow along at Beck and Call Podcast on Instagram, you'll see all about the wedding. I'll post everything there that I posted on my other page. So you'll get the details. I also, by the way, if you did see all of my stories from the wedding and want to shop any of our outfits, I linked everything that I could on the LTK app. So download the LTK app and then follow me at Merit Beck for all of those details. And before you ask, my mom was wearing Carolina Herrera. It's a dress that she found at last call and she actually had it shortened. It was originally a maxi dress and it just looked so gorgeous on her. After the ceremony and photos, we had some appetizers in the living room and then eventually sat down for dinner in the formal dining room where we had tenderloin, we had a wedge salad, we had shrimp and grits, and then we had the bride and groom cakes. And it was so yummy. (laughs) The whole night was so great. It was so fun. And then to close out the evening, we all went outside by their getaway car, which I think my mom said was like a vintage Rolls Royce. I don't know anything about cars, but it was very cute. It was a very cute car. And Alexandra and Matt came out while these sparklers were going and it was just so magical. It was it was so wonderful. And by the time the caterer left, it was like 1030. So it was a pretty early night. And, you know, I think we were all in bed by 11, 1130. <laughs> so I love that. I mean, I feel like usually with weddings, you kind of feel obligated to stay up and dance. But because this was such a small, intimate family wedding and Alexander and Matt left at 10, we got to go to bed. So it actually turned out wonderfully for all of us. And it was just, like I said, such a nice weekend. They are just so obviously in love, so happy and just couldn't be more excited for them and their future and, you know, our holidays together as a family and all of that. So it was just really, really wonderful. Also, before I forget, I did want to mention that the photographer was Anastasia Strait, and she did such a fabulous job. All of the photos that she showed us already have been beautiful. I don't think we get the full printed photos for another like five to eight weeks, but she sent a bunch of digital photos from the wedding and they're just all stunning and so beautiful. And 
She was so sweet and helpful and helped my mom coordinate with the driver and the pyrotechnics guy for the sparklers. She was just, she was amazing. So if you're in need of a photographer for any kind of event, wedding, portrait stuff, definitely check out Anastasia Strait. Now let's get into some recs and reviews. In the last week, I started and finished the final season of Workin' Moms on Netflix, which if you've never watched it, it is such a great show. It's about a group of new moms who join this mommy and me group, and it's basically them getting together to talk shit about their jobs, their husbands, kind of they become friends and you basically just follow them as they try to navigate being new moms while also navigating their careers, their family life and other relationships and that kind of thing. It is a comedy and it is some of the best writing I've ever seen when it comes to parenting and that kind of thing. It's just truly hilarious. And I can't remember how many seasons there are. I want to say it's like six or seven, but this was the final season and the first few seasons. My friend Rachel has watched this show and she is also she is a mom. And she said the first season or two may feel a little close to home if you've just had a baby. Like it's very it's a, it's really relatable. I think she said, but it's also like some of it's graphic and like just the depictions of what they're going through early on postpartum, all of that stuff. It might just be a little triggering for those of you who are experiencing that currently or in the trenches currently with that, but it truly is one of the funnier shows out there. The episodes are like 20, 28, 30 minutes long. So it's really quick. It moves fast. You'll watch it in just a few days, but anyway, great show. The last season, wasn't my favorite, but it was still really funny. Like the earlier seasons are definitely the best, but definitely check out Working Moms on Netflix. It is hilarious. And then last night I started a new show. I was so exhausted from the wedding weekend. I should have gone to sleep at eight o'clock, but because I started this show and got hooked, I stayed, I ended up staying up like way later than I should have, which still wasn't very late. I think I went to bed at 11. I was so exhausted, like I said, but like I could have gone to sleep much earlier, but I was just enjoying the show so much. So the show is Queen Charlotte on Netflix. It's part of the Bridgerton series. It's sort of, I would say kind of a spinoff because they, it's not following the Bridgerton siblings, but the mom is on the show. But this show follows Queen Charlotte, and I almost would compare it to the Serpent Queen in that it's a lot of flashbacks of when she first marries King George and kind of her introduction to British royal life. But it also goes back to the present when she's trying to get all of her unwed, childless kids to have heirs. And so it's kind of jumping back and forth. So it definitely reminds me a little bit of that Serpent Queen show that I told you guys about. That's Catherine de' Medici. But the format of the show is kind of similar. And I just, I really got into it last night. I'm, I'm intrigued by George and Charlotte's early relationship. Like what's his deal? I'm not going to spoil anything, but let's just say it gets off to a rocky start and you just like, don't know what's going on with them. It also shows more about Lady Danbury. Who's one of the favorites on the Bridgerton series. She's so witty and funny and just a strong character. And it shows about how she got into kind of the court life and became the right hand of Queen Charlotte and all of that. So I'm just thoroughly enjoying the show. I think I'm only a few episodes in, maybe three episodes in. Super enjoying it though. Definitely check it out if you liked any of the other Bridgerton shows that have come out. It's a good one. And then finally, for my last rec, I started Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid on the drive home from Austin yesterday. And just like her other books, I am loving it so far. Now, I have not read Carrie Soto is Back or whatever that's called. I've heard mixed reviews about that, so I didn't read that. 
I didn't read the synopsis of this book before buying it, but I found it interesting that she mentions both Carrie Soto and she mentions Evelyn Hugo at the start of this book. And it sounds like there's some intertwining, interweaving storylines happening. I feel like I am a third of the way through the book and I am loving it so far. I will say maybe the reason I like this book is because it feels a lot like the Evelyn Hugo book and that it details relationships that people have had. It's based on one family, but I'm really enjoying that again. I really loved that that format of that book. And you see the same thing in Malibu Rising, but there's a lot more having to do with obviously California and the beach and surfing, which they've kind of touched on, but they haven't totally gotten into. So I wonder kind of where that all comes together. But Again, really loving it. I love Taylor Jenkins Reid, I guess. All of her books I've absolutely loved. And per usual, I'm listening to Malibu Rising versus actually reading it and absolutely love it. She just picks great narrators. What can I say? Before we get into it with Joanne, let's hear a word from this week's sponsors. By the time you listen to this episode, I will be well into my Argentina trip. I'm sure I'm eating all of the steak, the chimichurri, the empanadas, and other local favorites, and I probably won't be eating as many vegetables as I'm used to. If I were just going to be gone for a couple of days, I probably would be fine. But because this is a really long trip, I want to make sure I'm giving my body something healthy every day to keep it functioning like it does when I'm at home. That's where AG1 from Athletic Greens comes in. With just one scoop of AG1, my body is absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start my day right. I love to take AG1 first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. I just mix it into eight ounces of chilled water and throw it back. It's the one thing with the best things and is such a small micro habit with big benefits like improved sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity and alertness, and it also supports your gut health and immune system. I brought a bunch of AG1 travel packs with me so I can stay on top of my health goals while on the go down in South America. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash beck and call. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash beck and call to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. While I absolutely love to travel, nothing beats sleeping in my own bed. Sure, some nice hotels out there have comfortable beds, but more often than not, they're too firm, the pillows aren't fluffy enough, or the sheets aren't soft enough for my liking. By the end of a trip, I'm always so eager to get back to my bed to be able to sleep in my own sheets again, and part of that is because of the amazing sheets I have from Cozy Earth. I got the white bamboo sheet set a couple months back, and it has truly changed my sleep game for the better. The sheets are uniquely soft and only get softer with every wash. Oprah has even described Cozy Earth bedding as the softest ever. Cozy Earth bedding is also temperature regulating, which is great for those of us who are hot sleepers. There's nothing worse than getting too hot under the covers. I dare you to compare Cozy Earth sheets to whatever is already on your bed. 
Feeling is believing, and I'd be shocked if you didn't want to replace all of the bedding in your house with Cozy Earth products after trying it for yourself. I've also heard amazing things about Cozy Earth's loungewear and pajamas. If they're anywhere near as soft as my sheet set, I am sold. The pajama set actually comes in regular and tall, which is amazing for us tall ladies who don't want to look like we're wearing high water pajama pants, which is a common problem for me anyway. Cozy Earth is offering an exclusive discount for my listeners. Enjoy up to 35% off site-wide with code BECKANCALL. Go to CozyEarth.com and use code BECKANCALL to save up to 35% off site-wide. All right, guys, I am so excited for this week's guest, Joanne King, the former executive editorial director of HarpersBazaar.com and co-founder of the truly groundbreaking swimwear brand Stylest. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. That is, that intro was so exciting. I started giggling. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm working on those. I'm trying to get better at my intros because usually I'm just like so nervous to get started. I'm like, welcome to the podcast. Here you go. Here we are. Um, I have a lot I want to ask you, but can we start at the beginning? Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you get your foot in the door in the publishing industry? Tell me all the things. I am actually um, a born and raised Texan like you. I grew up actually in in South Houston in a town called Clear Lake, Texas. And actually, my family is now is now based in Dallas. I um I, I ended up going to SMU for college, and they moved there once I moved to New York City. So I kind of call Houston and Dallas home. Have a lot of friends in both cities, um, and I absolutely love going back to Texas. I went to SMU like many people, and did not know exactly what I wanted to do with my life. But I'd always had an interest in fashion, you know, was sort of always looking for the original outfit. I remember, you know, thinking of homecoming or all of the big sort of events around high school in Texas and always feeling like I really wanted my outfit to be original or I would be looking at Vogue or the runways to see if I could knock something off. My mom was actually a great seamstress. So a lot of times she would like help me in this endeavor. Didn't always look exactly like the models in Vogue, but you know, I, I gave it, I gave it an effort. But when I went to when I went to SMU, I was studying finance actually. My father was an investment banker and you know, he really loved what he did. And I don't know, I think I thought it would just be a great career choice to start in finance, in the business world. And I think as I got into that into that um, school there, I sort of realized, okay, you know, I like this way of thinking, but I also am very creative. And, you know, I don't know if this industry is really going to fulfill me in all the ways. So my mom ended up, this is all actually, it's so funny to think about how you end up where you do, but my mom found this six week intensive summer course at Parsons School of Design in Manhattan. And I don't, I, you know, I'll have to ask her how she stumbled upon it. But she said, Joanne, I think you should go do this the summer after your freshman year. You study all aspects of fashion, everything from actually fashion design, sketching, you know, sewing, construction, but also fashion business, fashion journalism, fashion history. And you live in Manhattan in a dorm, and it's kind of just a six weeks, six week intensive. And that really was like, I think, a big moment for me. I went and did it and fell in love with the entire industry and found this amazing newspaper called Women's Wear Daily that I then proceeded to subscribe to in college. There's really no reason to have a Women's Wear Daily subscription in college, um, but I got it every day. And, you know, I think that was where my, my sort of understanding that, oh, I could report on the business of fashion 
really was born for me was at that, at that moment at Parsons. I am so jealous that your mom found that program. I yeah. had no idea something like that existed that I'm sure. Do they still do it? I don't know. I'm actually, after we get off this podcast, I'm going to look because it was really special. And like I said, it wasn't, you know, you think of Parsons now and people do think of it as a, a design only school. And that's really, that's actually false. Um, a lot of people study a lot of different aspects of the industry there. And again, it was for me, women's wear daily was the light bulb. Like, oh, here's, you know, here's a, um, a trade magazine at the center of the fashion industry where you're required to know sort of a little bit about everything. Um, and, you know, it really inspired me and that really was a flip switch for me. I immediately decided I was going to minor in journalism, still keeping my focus in finance, and from then it became really about experiences. So every summer that I had off, I would go get an internship. My my big sort of break was actually at the style section of the Dallas Morning News. I'm still friends with the woman who hired me, Jackie, um, Jackie Bolin, who was the style editor there, and this woman Tracy, who was sort of the editor in chief of, of Fashion Dallas, is what it was called, Fashion Exclamation Dallas. And they brought me in as an intern and actually actually gave me writing assignments. I interviewed um, Candace Bushnell when she had her new book coming out. Was it Four Blondes? Do you remember that book? Not sure. No. Okay. It was pre, pre-Sex in the City. This is dating me, but um, you know, they gave me real interviews, really like let me kind of get out there. And I don't know. Again, I think the Dallas Morning News probably does not have a weekly fashion section anymore, which is very sad. But you know, 23 years ago they did. And it was, it was really where sort of my love for fashion journalism was born. Um, I also did a internship at Paper City, Dallas, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. I'm sure your picture has been in it quite a few times, but, and again, my job was actually to help organize the pictures from events, which you can imagine is quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, that's really how it all started. And once I sort of got the bee in my bonnet, I said, well, this is it. I want to go work for a women's fashion magazine. That's my, that's my job. That's, that's what I want to do. And so all of my, you know, all of my friends in the business school that, that senior year were getting sort of their promised jobs from investment banks, from accounting firms, um, you know, the kind of jobs where you got hired six months before you graduated. I don't even think that happens anymore. Right. And I was like, well, I don't really have a plan, but I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to work for a magazine. And so when I graduated, that would have been, yeah, when I graduated, it was 2004. And my dad said, yeah, let's do it. He said, you can go and you have three months where you don't have to work. He goes, and you can work at finding a job. And he goes, and at the end of three months, so, you know, you're either you're walking dogs, you're doing something. And so I got really lucky and <laughs> ended up landing my first job. I think it was at the beginning of August with Self Magazine. It's a women's lifestyle magazine focused sort of on fitness and wellness. And my job was to be a fashion assistant. And that's, that's really where that's really how I got my foot in the door. That's so exciting. So you didn't fully move to New York or do internships in New York until after you graduated. Zero. In fact, on my first day of the job itself, I got trained by the current intern, which I'm sure royally pissed them off. Um, but yes, I did not, I had not had a New York city internship at the time. You know, it was, I will say one, one way that I did sort of weasel at this point, self was Condé Nast. I, you know, there was this real belief at that point in informational interviews where 
HR, you know, these women in HR, their job was just to go interview candidates, even if they didn't have positions for them. And I knew that. And so I really worked hard to get informational interviews at every publishing house that I knew. So Hearst and Condé being sort of the top time Inc at the time was a big one. And, um, I had my dad help me make this huge portfolio of everything I'd ever written for the Dallas morning news, for the SMU newspaper, um, for paper city. And I put it in the mail. I mean, it, it literally was like 11 by 17 and it was like a pitch deck. And that's how I would mail my resume out to these HR women was this like huge, massive thing. I mean, I don't even know if you do, you don't even mail your resume anymore. So it was, it was just a, yeah, yeah. it was just kind of a different world, but I thought, oh, well, this will make it stand out either in a good or bad way. They'll be like, what's this monstrous thing on my desk and look at it or they'll throw it in the trash. But at least I tried. Um, so I think in the end, it actually, I think it did get me a little, a little noticed. That's great. So yeah. when you were working at all of these major fashion and lifestyle magazines, I mean, you worked at Harper's Bazaar, InStyle, Glamour, Town and Country, I guess they're all under certain houses, but would you say that it was really as cutthroat as the Devil Wears Prada makes it out to be? Like, can you share a little bit of your experience working for a, a big magazine publication? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the Devil Wears Prada is not totally far off when it comes to how a magazine functions, right? Like when you see Anne Hathaway walk through the door and there's all these different departments, you've got the busy art department, you have the fashion team who's working in the closet with all the samples, getting ready for photo shoots. You have the, you know, the senior editors editing the actual layouts in the art room and taking meetings with designers. I mean, that's real. That's exactly how it was. You know, whether or not there were sort of bitchy personalities. I think like in any job, that's also real. Um, the fashion industry is also filled with incredibly warm, lovely people from all over that just want to make, you know, tell great stories and 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 love fashion. So I think you see a, a both of it, but cutthroat, you know, maybe that's not the word I would describe. I would say competitive. Right. Um, you know, it just like anything when you start at a magazine, there's 10 assistant jobs. But if you look at the top of the masthead, there's two executive editor jobs. So that's called competition, right? Like not everybody's going to make it to that. And yeah, and you, and you know, the, the industry changed a lot over the 20 years that I was, I was heavily in it. And I think being nimble and sort of being able to be willing to learn new skills at any time. And that really played heavily, of course, into the, the shift to digital it was important. And if you didn't want to do that, you know, you might have gotten left behind. I didn't care. I was just happy to be there. I was, I was willing to do anything they told me to do, Right. you know, whether it was like report at a glamorous party or write a caption for the website. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have boundaries about what I thought I was there to do. So I think that was really helpful to me in, in the, as I sort of grew, as the industry changed pretty drastically and now is quite, quite different than when I started. For sure. Well, I think that's a great reminder for anyone who's starting out in any industry. You want to get your hands in as many things as possible, not only to increase your own skills, but figure out what you really love to do. I think the only way to do that is to try a bunch of things. And I think that kind of intensive boot camp that you did at Parsons is another great example of that. Try as much as you can, get as many internships as you can, test out as many industries as you can. I think that's a great lesson for anyone in college or about to start the college process and then find jobs. I just love that. I think that's great. 
And, you know, you got to learn the business, the business of fashion. So I think I was always very curious, not only, you know, what was going to make it into the magazine, what made something worthy of a story in Harper's Bazaar or what made something, you know, cute enough or in fashion enough to be shot for glamour. But I also wanted to understand, you know, why are we printing these magazines? How, how does the whole circle of life work in media? And I think early on, I started to listen up and and listen to the business of magazines. And so I was able, you know, I was able as I became more of a senior editor to run not only great stories and run a creative team of editors, but also work hand in hand with publishers and executive management at these publishing houses to create businesses that were, you know, steady and profitable and, you know, allowed everyone to sort of get to do the fun stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about kind of spanning your career history, how it started off more traditional publishing, and then you got into more digital stuff. Was there pushback from people moving into the digital space in the publishing industry? Yes, absolutely. You mean in in, in general, there was, there was definitely like a a lack of cachet, right? When you went, when you jumped to digital, I remember I was very junior when I got offered a job to run. Basically it was like the fashion section of lgirl.com. So you're talking the teen version of L and a, a guy that I had worked with at Condé Nast said, I think you should come try to do this. I had no idea how to do it. I was like, great. Well, if we're all going to learn together, we can just sort of, you know, trial by fire. And yeah, it was definitely not at the time probably like the sexy move, I guess. Um, and it was definitely risky. And I think I had other colleagues who are at the same sort of level I was saying, no, I'm going to stick out. I'm going to stick it with print. I'm going to stay stay the course. I like my seat at a fashion show. I like sort of, you know, I like my pecking order in the industry. And I think I was just junior enough and excited enough. I didn't really care. But when I went to Harper's Bazaar, I, I vividly remember the day because I was actually working at instyle.com. Really excited. This was a website. This is in about 2008, 2009. This was a website that was kind of ahead of the game compared to its its peers. It actually had a full staff around the website, a lot of interest in what celebrities were wearing. We were publishing cute outfits on the daily, doing like two to three news items a day, which was kind of unheard of from as like a publishing cadence. And I was really liking it and learning a lot and, you know, sort of feeling like I was getting in the digital groove. And I got a call from Hearst saying, you know, Glenda Bailey wants to meet you. She is interested in, you know, giving her website um, a chance, right? At the time, I think Harper's Bazaar really hadn't even been run by Glenda's team. um, And it definitely wasn't something they were able to focus on. So I was very excited because Harper's Bazaar is a serious fashion publication and I was wearing like jeans and a weird, a weird sweater. I like ran to Saks and bought a dress and rushed over to meet Glenda Bailey and a pair of heels and everything. I mean, it was really one of those, those true magazine stories, but I chose to take the job at Bazaar and leave a team, a digital team at InStyle to go start this sort of journey on my own as one person at a magazine where digital was not a priority to them. I mean, it wasn't sort of what they were known for. And it wasn't something, you know, at the time that Glenda fully, she wanted to, she wanted to learn and she did learn eventually, but she, you know, she wasn't sure what to do with it. Um, so that was a huge leap of faith. And yeah, and it was, it could be thankless at times, right? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's, they would call me the web girl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, <laughs> there's the web girl. <laughs> you proved them right. You were, and you made it a success. What were some of the biggest challenges taking Harper's Bazaar fully online and 
making the digital the best it could be. I mean, I think the rich history of the brand, I mean, it, it's a, I think it's now 180 years old. It, if you go back and look at the history of Bazaar, it's been there. It's sort of every pinnacle moment in history that you can, that you can imagine. It is a museum worthy history. And I think that the digital world can feel, you know, sometimes maybe a bit, I don't know, just maybe, maybe not as luxurious as what I think Bazaar was known for. And so finding a way to take sort of that high fashion intel and merge it with the culture of digital, make it a daily destination too. I mean, you're not, Carl Lagerfeld's not putting out a new Chanel collection every day. So what do, what do, what does that same reader care about? And how does that connect the dots back to the print magazine with the print magazine sort of always being the, you know, the holy grail. So that was challenging. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things where it just took time and, and, and a little, a little bit of trial and error and just like, you know, a lot of support, I think from, from Glenda and her team, but we just, we really were unstoppable. And I think the team that, that we eventually hired at bizarre.com loved fashion. I mean, I think that was like, when I would interview people, that was sort of my number one. I'm like, I don't care if you've ever worked for a website. I don't care if you're, you know, you're a perfect writer or you know how to work in a CMS or all the different things you look for. It's like, do you, are you like obsessed with fashion? Because that's ultimately the person that we were telling stories to and we were trying to engage with. Um, And that I think was always, always kept us very close to the print magazine. One question I've always had about magazines and then moving to digital is that magazines, you're spending all of your time creating one issue for each month. And with digital, you're kind of expected to create content for daily consumption. So are there specific teams dedicated for social content specifically, or is it a Mm -hmm. lot of taking the stuff that's in the magazine, making it bigger or changing a perspective like what how does that work with creating the content for both you know I think it's I think it's a mix that you know the social the the editors for the website and the social editors absolutely were focused on creating original content for the website however there were opportunities to take stories within the within the print magazine and blow them up for digital so it was a little bit of both, but I think you definitely, it's two different hats. Like, like you said, planning, I mean, a, a magazine is planning their issues six months out. We're thinking, well, what happened at the Met last night? You know, and I think it's just two different hats, but what made, what I think what made my job fun and what kept it interesting is that we did do a little, we did do a little bit of both. So if we were planning, you know, the beauty issue or the fall fashion issue, and we knew that Jayla was on the cover and she was going to be hanging upside down from an airplane well, we were going to send our video team and get amazing social content to create a more robust, you know, energized visual around what the print magazine could run. So there were a lot of those conversations, which were really fun. And at the same time, that very day, we're like, oh my God, well, what's Jen, what's that set that Jen JLo's wearing at Starbucks or sorry, Dunkin' Donuts with um, Ben Affleck, you know, so it's, it was a little bit, it was both. You got to do yeah. both, um, which I think is what I loved. Yeah. It's a lot of variety. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. What was your favorite thing about working in fashion media? 
the people. I, that's, I think the part that I miss the most, um, we're building, you know, when we talk about stylists, we're building a team there slowly, but surely, but you know, it's lean right now. So I just miss the culture of like a bustling office, all the women and men that I worked with, they always inspired me every day. I miss seeing what they were wearing, what they were watching, what, you know, what we would be laughing about. I think that was the most amazing part. And then Really close second though, and I, I I don't think I realized this till I was fully out of out of media is um the experiences. I mean, sitting at a Chanel show in the Grand Palais in Paris, like what pinch me, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'd imagine working in New York at a magazine like Harper's Bazaar, you're constantly inundated with amazing designers, the latest trends. How do you feel like your environment shaped your sense of style? Like, especially coming from Texas and then moving to the big city. You know, I, I I learned a lot. I, I was never, you know, I've always loved fashion. I love shopping. I love putting outfits together, but I was never like a stylist, right? Like, and I, but I worked with a lot of them. And so I think I th- sort of through osmosis would look and be like, oh, you know, this is, this is how she's putting this together. Or wow, this woman over here, she always has this uniform and it works because of A, B, and C. And, you know, when you do page layouts in a magazine, a lot of times it's very equation-based. Like, this, you know, the floral blouse plus the pencil skirt plus the ankle boot equals, you know, something current. And um, so I think I did pick up a lot from other people. You know, it, it it's definitely was a huge transition leaving magazines and leaving that that sort of those wardrobe needs behind getting launched into COVID and then launching into starting my own business. I mean, I sort of had to have a wake up call and go, well, what is my style? What do I wear every day? You know, it's so easy to get into sort of the legging and like the sweatshirt, you know, the mix. But yeah, going to an office every day was inspiring. It was fun to get dressed. And you always, you had an event a couple of times a week. So there was a reason to, to get going. But I do think my, my, I do think my style has been very influenced by my environment. So now that I'm up in upstate New York, you know, I'm loving things like Lila Rose Ranch and I care a lot about denim and knit and knits and things that I'm wearing all the time that maybe I wasn't paying as much attention to in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. So you said that, I mean, your, your entire career kind of went from traditional publishing to digital, but I I'm guessing now my question was going to be, did your decision to leave the industry have anything to do with it going digital or was it just time you just were ready for a change? Oh. No, not at all. I mean, digital for me, it went digital in 2008 and I got to build for a decade, you know, a digital business and brand at Harper's Bazaar. That was, so I left Harper's Bazaar in the summer of 2020, which was during COVID. We were all working from home. I actually got to do a really incredible thing on my way out, which is run the magazine for three and a half months with my dear friend. And she was my, we laughed. We were co-editors, um, Nicole Fritton, who's the fashion director there. We had the best time doing it. It was so challenging because it was actually during a time that you could not even shoot photo, like you couldn't even do a photo shoot. We were trying to put together a magazine without actual like original photography. It was really crazy doing, you know, shooting people via Zoom and just the most chaotic things you can think of. But it was a really cool experience. And I'm I'm really glad I got to do that. And at the time I was moving to a new role at Town and Country in El Decor working with Staline um, Valandis, who is like the most major editor. I'm telling you, this woman is, cannot be stopped. And um, my job was to, was to go work with Staline and come up with 
like really cool business ideas that were born in the spirit of editorial. So, you know, you think about town and country, like what it's known for and how, you know, what are ways in which we can bring that spirit to the reader in bigger and better ways. So I was really excited to do that. I went to, and I also was moving to doing the same thing with El Decor um, as they had a new editor in chief come in, Asad Skirit, who's also just an incredible editor. And I happened to have decided at the time to move to upstate New York with my husband and my daughter and just take a break from the city. A lot of people did this. It's not like news and just see where it went. And I decided to throw a pool party to meet more people up here. Genuinely, I thought I might need some more friends. This was a weekend home. We had a community, but like maybe I needed to to work a little harder. And at that pool party was where the idea for stylist was born. So when I say I was not looking for this to start my own business, in fact, I've always said I will never start my own business. Um, and here I am, you know, it really happened in like the most authentic, random occurrence. And, you know, the idea sort of came to to me and my co-founders and I really just couldn't get it out of my mind. So as we pursued the idea for Stylus, I continued to work at Hearst for Town and & Country and for El Decor um, for a little while until I realized that we were actually going to do, Stylist was happening. We were going to do it. And so, um, no, it had nothing to do with digital. Digital, I feel like the digital play had been, we knew, I mean, I think magazines now know that that's where their efforts need to be and that the print magazine is like a special collector's item. Gotcha. So that answers a lot of my questions because I was going to ask, did you have any time between your jobs and starting Stylist or, you know, lots nope. of questions in that regard? What was the motivation and inspiration behind? Well, I can tell, I can tell you the story. I can tell you yeah. what actually happened at the pool party, which is, yes. which is sort of interesting and, and actually goes back to like fashion and style and, and all of the things. So basically, again, I had thrown this pool party and I was, I think I was about 18 months postpartum and it was a slim errands theme. And I, you know, I had this like cool kind of like, you know, crazy caftan on and underneath I had on this Carla Coletto black sort of ruched bathing suit, um, with a little bit of underwire. I thought, you know, I needed that sort of support. I had a heavier chest, you know, post baby body. I was like, I need something that makes me feel held in, you know, like I always like structure. And so I had this swimsuit on, but I will say, Style wise, I was not satisfied with it. I didn't feel like it was me. I like color. I like print, particularly in my resort wear. And I didn't feel that it was my best moment. Right. But it was, you know, a nice bathing suit. It was also pretty expensive. So we're sitting in the pool and everyone's swimming. And this woman, Chrissy, who I had met a few times and was, you know, obviously one of the invitees is wearing this cute ballet scoop necked zip J. Crew suit. And someone says, honey, your bra is sticking out of your swimsuit. And I kind of, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to Aaliyah, who's our other co-founder and a woman that I've known. I met at Elle magazine years ago. She's an amazing marketer and just knows, you know, she sort of knows a great idea when she sees it and is like, oh, I could take this to market. And I said to, I said, excuse me, wait, you're wearing a bra under your bathing suit. And she goes, oh yeah, I've been doing this for the last 10 years. I have this like ratty old Victoria's Secret bra that I sort of slip under my suits to give me, to help me out here. You know, I've had to children, I breastfed, you know, at gravity age, there's a million reasons that you might want extra support under your suit. And so I just thought, damn, that's smart. Like what if I had just worn 
bought the suit I wanted and put a bra under it. Like maybe I wouldn't be wearing this like black thing. You know what I mean? So party ended, we go to bed. Aaliyah Aaliyah sort of stays the night um, and we're sitting by the pool the next day and actually with my husband. And I'm like, this is so interesting. There has to be like a swim bra, right? Like people, people have those. And Jeremy, my husband's like, yeah, of course, a swim bra. It sounds so obvious. (laughs) And so we start like looking and we can't find anything. We find some, like some weird pieces that are a lot, like maybe, you know, based more for like religious decency and things like that, sort of those solutions, but nothing that's actually just designed to go under your swimsuit, like a, a bra. And I don't know. I just, as a, as an editor, your job is to see a lot of product out there, right? You meet a lot of brands, you get sent a lot of pitches, you do a lot of desk sides where people are trying to show you innovations in the industry. You know, in intimates, we hear a lot about intimates, right? Spanx is a household name. Skims is a bargaining business. I mean, we all know like the, what's underneath matters. And I just thought this was like, I don't know, a unique product that that frankly I could have used at the time, right? So for me, I'm also like, this is a need. And so Ali and I decided after a couple of weeks where we couldn't get the idea out of our head, we, we took Chrissy to lunch at a club up here in 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 Millbrook called Mishomek and said, this is totally wild and crazy, but we think this idea of like shapewear for the water. So, you know, it could be, it, it could be a bra, which being the hero idea, it could be like a slimming bodysuit or maybe even like a tummy control panty or something. We think this idea of shapewear for your swimsuit could be very interesting and really target women whose bodies and lifestyles are evolving, whether it be because of age or children or whatnot. Do you want to like pursue this with this? I, this may be the R&D of this and just see what we can figure out. And she said, oh yeah, I'm in. I love so that. Yeah. So, and so at the time, Chrissy, what ha- Chrissy was a stay-at-home mom. Um, formerly, oddly enough, this is so crazy. She worked for one of the largest sleepwear manufacturers and lingerie manufacturers in the U.S., Comar. They're like a family-owned company, sort of at the height of her career. So she has a lot of knowledge and background about product in that way and 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 development of bras, which is very hard. Um, and Aaliyah, of course, you know, we met at Elle magazine. She has a she began her career in editorial, but really, you know, became very senior in the marketing world. And look, she's always said, look, it's really hard to market an idea that's not unique. It's really easy to market something that is. Um, so she was really interested in the challenge of that. And that's how stylists started was this idea of, of shapewear for the water. And that was in, you know, the fall of 2020 that we started just looking into product development. It was not full time. We were both all still working. It was sort of a side hustle. Well, as I said, when I introduced you, it truly is groundbreaking and something that I, I'm baffled that it didn't, something like that didn't already exist. And I know that it doesn't because that's, I feel like we're all looking to feel our best in swimwear. I think we're all looking for what's considered flattering, quote unquote flattering. And of course. A lot of the swimsuits today are, I feel like targeting like teenagers, 20 year olds. They are. And a different body than I have, I'll just say. And yeah, like, and, it, and to your point, Merritt, it's not just about body. It's also about like lifestyle, decency, yeah. where you're wearing it. Like if you're in Argentina with your parents versus if you're, you know, in Miami with your boyfriend, I mean, it's different needs, right? For sure. Um, and the other thing, and I, I always thought this, this was something that really stuck with me in the beginning was this idea of going, well, you know, I wouldn't even go to the grocery store without a bra on. Like I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel supported. I wouldn't feel comfortable and I wouldn't feel like decent. 
Mm-hmm. And yet at a, the pool, I'm supposed to be like not having that, the bra, you know what I mean? Like it was sort of, I was like, this is such a disconnect for so many women. And, and just like swimwear with like a tooth in a fabric, like there are mm-hmm. just so many examples out there of swimwear that just doesn't seem not only great quality, not a great fit, not enough options. I feel like is something that I often come across. I just cannot find what I'm looking for. And what I'm looking for is something that's really supportive, something that's comfortable, something that I feel really confident in and something that's very wearable that I can like kind of do any kind of trip in. And I definitely feel like you guys have nailed that. And you also want it to be cute, right? I mean, I think that's the other thing there, there definitely was and is supportive swimwear on the market. I mean, you think about a brand like Miracle Suit, which was founded in like the 1970s. You know, it's not the actual idea of sculpting swimwear, which was something that we we got into as we went down this path. We started with the idea of just shapewear. Um, and now what we've created is sort of like a system of dressing where you can choose your shapewear, which is for, for us, sort of our bestsellers are our collection of swim bras. Then you pick your sculpting swimsuit. We offer a bunch of different styles. But the issue with, brands like a miracle suit is that the aesthetic does, doesn't match like the modern woman, right? Like it, it felt there's some, it, it could feel at times old fashioned. And I think that, yeah. yeah. And I think that was, I think that was a huge opportunity, um, is in the designs, in the prints and the color schemes, offering something that felt fresh that could sit with the rest of her wardrobe, which probably consists of really cute dresses from Tucker nut and a great set of denim, you know, things like that. Like it needs to work with the, the the wardrobe that she's connecting. And we we started to realize we're like, she's definitely going to ask us for swimsuits too with this built in. And so we we have our swimsuits have built in power mesh in the belly and the, in the bottom. And then we have 360 degree elastic shelf bras, which for a lot of women gives them is enough support that they think that they don't need to wear a bra with it, which is totally fine. Um, and then the women that really want the bra for shape or for extra lift, it's all designed for that to kind of disappear under the suit. And then the final part, which you'll appreciate, Merrick, because I know with all of your content that it's all about like the total outfit is I think people like you and I, you work in fashion, you influence people on how to put an outfit together. I worked in magazines. I understand the equations of dressing. A lot of women don't, even the ones that we see every day looking pulled together. And what they really want is the full outfit solution. Mm -hmm. So they want to know, okay, well, this all goes together. This is what I'm putting in my beach bag or putting in my suitcase or bringing to the country club today or the community pool. And I'm going to have bottom coverage. If I'm at the snack bar, I've just got my whole look. And so that is one of our big solutions too, is showing women how to put the whole outfit together so they don't have to think. Yeah. You've got the sarongs, you've got the cover-ups, you've got start to finish. <laughs> yeah. It's the system. For sure. So you mentioned the fabric, the compression fabric is amazing. I'm obsessed with it. I'm somebody, I bought the swim bra at your event that you had in Dallas the first time. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. Last year. And I've used it, but I've also gone without it, which I have pretty big boobs. And that is, I'm impressed that I'm able to just go sans bra in these swimsuits. How long did it take to get the fabric right? I feel like that would be a challenge. Well, the fabric was actually literally was handed to us on a silver platter. It was the most crazy thing. We started to work with this woman who is a raw materials expert. We found her through a woman we had started to do um, designs with who had come from Victoria's Secret. And she said, you have to meet this woman. 
She has the best fabrications in the world. She knows the, all the best mills. And we brought her our idea for the bra at the time, which is what we were focused on. And we said, we're looking for a fabric for our bra that is swim fabric, right? It, it has to be, it's designed to get wet. It has to dry as fast as her swimsuit and all of these sort of things and these properties. And she said, I have the most amazing fabric for you. You're going to want to make everything out of it. She goes, I have, I, her biggest client had always been Victoria's Secret. And she said, I've always fell in, I fell in love with this fabric the minute I found it. She goes, but it's, it's too expensive for a mass brand. They're never going to, you know, it comes from France. They're like, this is a non-starter. And we're like, well, fuck, show it to us. Here we go. <laughs> and of course we loved it. And it's like become, it's our exclusive, um, our exclusive swim fabric. All of our top selling products are made in it at a secret mill in France and who we have a great relationship with and we really love. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a luxury. You know, there's some really major, major fashion houses that use it for some of their sporting leggings and, and whatnot. And we feel really lucky to be working with it, but you know, we do, we, we do pay a premium for it, but I think we have, we have decided to build our business around the cost of this fabric because we believe it is what's making a huge difference in our pro difference in our product. I think um, that's great. I, and I think it's worth it. And honestly, I, I also own some Carla Coletto swimsuits from, a yeah, of course ago. they are much pricier than yours. I feel like you have really gotten, you've narrowed it down to a good price point. It's, it's, it's still accessible. But yeah, it's, it's what one one ninety eight for our best selling tank, and so you know under two hundred dollars, which I think with inflation right now is an incredible price given the quality and the fit. The fabric is is honestly you know it's extremely it's extremely high end. We probably should be charging you know twice as much for the swimsuit, but we're looking to cut costs in other ways because we feel like. We just really want our customer, first of all, to be able to buy the whole outfit. We want her to be able to buy the bra and the sarong and get the fully, the fully outfitted look. Um, and not, you know, I think buying a swimsuit for over $300 to $400 is extremely high. And it really, you know, we're targeting stylish moms across America. And I think that that's too expensive for her. Right. Plus she's in a swimsuit all summer long, whether she likes it or not, she needs at least two swimsuits. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also the philosophy is that she's not just one and done. She's putting on a swimsuit way more than she even wants to. Um, so price is really important. Absolutely. Right. Um, and we, and we do a lot to keep it that way. So what are your most popular styles at the moment? So we can't keep the square neck tank in stock. We've had to that's reorder it. <laughs> we ha we've had to reorder it. Well, it's it's coming again. We've had to okay. reorder it like four times. Okay. And, and and like and there's not even we joke. There's not even a bad color. Every single color is gone. It's funny. I'm so excited because I just sent it to Gail King at Oprah, um, wow. and ob obviously Oprah's bestie. Yeah. And I think she's you know she loves red. And I sent her the red one, I, and she just asked for a different size. So I think she's gonna like be so obsessed. Anyways, look out for Gail King wearing the square neck tank. I love um, that. Number one, number two is the puff sleeve zip up. Okay. Um, which is such a unique product and women love it for two reasons. They love it for fashion because it's cool looking and it, you can throw it on with a skirt and it truly is beach to drinks. Um, and it's also, of course, women love it for like a boat day, SPF protection. What, what really inspired the idea was the idea of having something with sleeves that was in the rash guard look and family but didn't look like something you had to be active in. I always laugh. I was like, 
I always wanted a sleeve and wanted that coverage and wanted that look, but everything was like, I either, I needed to be holding a surfboard and that's not me. I don't know how to surf, you know? And so this was sort of, yeah, exactly. So this was like the feminine, like fashion girl look that one does really well. And then our two of our swim bras, our bestsellers and the sarong, those are really our top five. Now I have the one shoulder in two colors and I absolutely love it, but I definitely want to get my hands on the square neck tank. Is that what you said it was? Yep. Yeah. It looks from, I've seen pictures of it on other people and it looks like very attractive, very flattering. It is just the way it cuts. I just, I love it. So you would look so cute in the Brown one. Ooh, that is a a right now. There's a cocoa color. That's really beautiful on blondes. I have to say, um, maybe I think we might have it in Dallas. So I'll put it aside for you. I'll have to Um, excited to see the newest collection next week at the pop-up. Do you play tennis or pickleball or anything? I don't. I've been meaning to. I have a tennis racket that I bought in 2020 <laughs> that I was going to do it. It still has the tag on it. So that's like me. That's me. We're coming. We're, we're, you'll see on Monday, we're coming out with a sculpting pickleball capsule. Fun. It's really cute. You can, of course, wear it to play tennis, any court sport. You can honestly wear it to go grocery shopping. It's adorable, but it has like the compression short, the tummy control, you know, the built-in shelf bras. It's really got all the solutions that our swimwear have, and it's made of the fabric that you love. Um, so I'm excited to show you that as well. That's kind of, it's a fun experiment to see what else can we do with this awesome fabric that makes sense for her lifestyle outside of the pool. Absolutely. Now the, you mentioned the capsule, you've got the new collection out. Do you have any other products that you're hoping to develop? Oh yes. So we're doing, we're doing that. As I mentioned, the pickle pickleball to pool is what we called yeah. it. That, that capsule is debuting. Um, you'll see it in Dallas and it officially debuts May 11th. So literally next week, okay. um, we are coming out in August with a sculpting legging Ooh. that I will say we tried it on yesterday. We got our second fit sample and it is the best legging I've ever put on. It's made of our, it's made of our amazing fabric. It really holds you in. Um, I think this could be a really cool off season opportunity for her. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm in my leggings all the time. Um, and our stylish mom is wearing them to work out, to pick up all over. So we're trying some like sculpting sportswear, like in that way. So the legging and bra top and really figuring out how to systemize that. And I think another category that feels really exciting for us that we are not currently in develop on it is sleep and home life. And that's probably something you would see sort of in late 2024. Gotcha. Um, but r- right now our core business is of course swim. Where is but- such a great move though? That's a great idea. Yeah, let's see. I'm excited. You know, the fun thing about development into new categories is we can do small experimental tests. So we're developing this legging and this broad top and bringing it during sort of back to school season when you're kind of hanging up your swimsuit, you're done for a little bit and we'll see. So you you co-founded Stylist with two friends who Mm -hmm. also have worked in various parts of the fashion industry. I'm sure that's very fun, but have you ever had like disagreements on colors or prints or the fit or anything? Like, how has that been working with friends? Yeah, we get actually get that question a lot. And I think it's such a great one. You know, I think when we first founded Stylist and would tell, you know, our friends and family, we're three women starting a business together, you know, people would immediately, it's almost the first thing they would say, well, isn't three a crowd, you know? And cause you know, it's like, it's a, it's a, the age old saying. And, you know, I think what we have found is that 
we are three women who have all had sort of our own independent, enriched careers and are coming together at a time in our lives where, you know, we just want to be successful and have fun. And, you know, I think maybe if we were doing it at 25, it might be harder than doing it at 45. I think you just sort of know yourself and you know, I don't know, you, you just, there's just this confidence I think that comes with it. We're also all three working moms and I will say starting a business is so overwhelming, so much work. There is the three of us each have full agendas every day. And we laugh. We're like, what would you do if you were doing this alone? Like, how would we even be doing it? I mean, I think we're we're so much further because there have been three of us and we all really bring different things to the table. And so we're, we're able to laugh about what we're good at or laugh about what we're not good at. Like, oh my God, I'm not going to, I can't handle that. You know, that's not, you know, Chrissy, you're going to be better at that early. That's your, you know, that's your strength. You know, we do all have different personal styles. And so I think when it comes to the collection and fashion, sure. I mean, there's certain things that, that, you know, I might like more than them or they might like more than me. But as we actually start to see after a year of being in the market, what our customer wants, it's getting easier to talk about her and not us. I think for launch, you're guessing a lot. You're going, well, this is a, the print that is of the season. This is, you know, this is going to be the most flattering color. And you're kind of making all these guesses. And now that we're a year out, we can actually see what she's responding to. And I think it will become, you know, designed by, you know, designed by the group will become easier because we'll be talking about someone outside of ourselves, okay. which we really, we haven't really been able to do yet. Yeah. Um, but no, we have, I, I, you know, I don't, again, I want to be honest. We haven't had any disagreements. I mean, it's, we've all had hard days. I mean, it is again, extremely overwhelming. Um, it's getting easier though. We were saying that the other day, we're like, okay, it's getting a little easier actually just to balance it and know that tomorrow will come that will, we can deal with that tomorrow. We don't have to deal with that today, but you're under your belt. You're settling in. You've yeah. messes of everything. So yeah. Well, you know, and it's really more than just a year because that year before you launch to the customer is, is really pretty an intense buildup too. Right. Um, so it really feels like, you know, at least two years of, of working together full-time and, and figuring it out. So it's been great. I love the two of these two women are like two of my favorite people on earth. They're so talented, so much fun. And, you know, I think we're going to build something really big together, which sort of blows my mind. I, I see it. It's definitely happening. It's happening. <laughs> you see it. Yeah. You um, feel it. So right now customers can purchase the collection from your website. And I believe you're in a few boutiques as well, like only on the Avenue in Houston. Are you planning to sell the line in any department stores or right now are you doing just boutiques? Oh, we have so much fun news. We, so we launched on Tucker nut, um, two weeks ago and we sold out in two hours. Love that for you guys. <laughs> I mean, it was gone. I was like, Oh my God, you got to get these women more. I mean, they really, it's such, I mean, I love that website. Yeah. Um, I think it's just such a great fit for us. So that's one big account for us that we're looking forward to sort of growing that business. We were picked up by Saks fifth Avenue awesome. and yeah, it's really exciting. And you know, they, when it comes to major department stores, they really are the best in the business. And so we're really excited to be to be part of that assortment and see where that goes. And then we we are launching on Moda Operande next week. Love Moda. That's so great. I'm so glad. <laughs> and they and Moda has such a fun business because a lot of their business is driven from their personal stylists hmm. that work for them. 
And so, you know, we have an opportunity to really teach them about stylist and, and what, you know, the solutions that are built into them that you might not get if you're just a customer shopping on the website and you see a flat of our swimsuit. Right. So I'm excited to see what it's like to work with them and, and sort of that camp kind of hands-on that they have with their VIPs. So that'll be great. But yeah, wholesale's a, wholesale's a really important channel for direct to consumer brands, um, even more than it was five or six years ago, where it was less expensive to, you know, acquire new customers for your website. So you would spend all the money to have them come to your website so that you could really have that relationship with them. It's, it's, it's a crowded space now. So these, these wholesale accounts are so important to brand awareness so that the Moda girl can, you know, can see stylists. So we're very focused on, on being in stores and the right stores. And um, I love specialty boutiques across the U S I feel like that's like really important and the way I like to shop now personally. For sure. How has your experience differed as a co-founder of a company versus being an employee at a large publishing house? You know, on some levels, I feel like what I did at Bazaar was training me to do this. Again, I started as a party of one, helping Glenda define the website, quickly was able to hire two other editors. And over the next 10 years, we went from three to 30. That included, you know, a 10-person video team, you know, a four-person social team, a design team, editors covering every single beat from fashion, beauty, culture, wellness, features. So I built a business for 10 years because as you can imagine, that required constantly getting more, more capital investment from the publishing house into to my team. So that was something I worked a lot on was putting together a team and showing growth and efforts in the business to be able to afford to expand. And I think that that, that same training is, is what we're doing here at Stylist. I also sat at the middle of like a just total chaos at all times and a million things happening. So I think I have the, the brain that can be thinking about production, be thinking about marketing, be thinking about our event tomorrow. Oh, I've got this podcast with Merit, you know, picking CNN from school at three. Like I can kind of you're a professional I can, multitasker. <laughs> I can, I can do it. I'm not saying it doesn't, I don't sometimes like have a mental breakdown, but I, I think, I, I think I've got the, um, sort of got the mind for it. Do you have any advice for anyone who's thinking about launching their own brand or starting their own clothing line or anything like that? Like what advice would you give yourself if you were starting this process over? You know, we, I, I mean, and look, everything is, is hindsight is 2020. I feel like you have to have a, a business plan, right? Like the numbers have to make sense and you have to understand the investment it's going to take to create what you think is going to work in the market, right? So the product or the idea that you have for it to, to be created, what is it going to take to get there? And then, you know, really understanding what the potential market that you have and what, you know, how, how, how is the, how is the cash going to flow? I think that's just like, don't not do that. I mean, that's, that is, that is the key. I also, you know, I really encourage people to really look and make sure that their idea or their, their idea or their, the way they're going to do something is incredibly unique. You don't necessarily have to re you don't have to invent a new category, but the way you're approaching something has to feel incredibly definable because everything you do from writing copy to writing emails, to putting ads out or to having an event has to have 
a unique factor or it just feels like another thing in the world. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's hard to do. And it's something we, we're constantly trying to do at stylist. Okay. Well, how does this, how do we make people understand this is more than just a swimsuit? It's going to make you feel your most confident. It's going to make you feel held in. And it's like, we would sort of a lot of times say, okay, well, if I was standing with you in your closet, trying to get you to try this on, what would I say? And it would be like, okay, Merit, this fabric is going to make you feel like so held in like that favorite pair of leggings that you love to put on because it makes you go, you know, and (laughs) your boobs are going to go like this up (laughs) and, you know, you're just going to feel great. And I think that's, you have to be able to translate that into words, copy visuals for digital. And that's just, it's hard to do. So that would be my advice is have a business plan and have a, have a unique idea or a unique way of looking at something. All right. I think that's great advice. Okay. So I have a few lightning round questions. If you have a couple more minutes, what is your must have Holy grail skincare or beauty product? Sunscreen. Yeah, I know that's, but that's boring. I will say number two, though, sunscreen. Absolutely. Number two is I love Tina Craig's you beauty line. Her, I think her, her resurfacing compound is amazing. And the reason I like it is because I literally have to do two pumps and nothing else like two pumps serum to bed. And I felt like I noticed a, de- a, a definite change in my skin texture and I'm lazy. So this works for me. Um, so Tina Craig's you beauty resurfacing, um, serum and sunscreen. I am also very lazy. My skincare routine is very few steps. So I, right. to- I mean, I, I, I have these grand ideas of yeah. what I'd like to do to my skin and I never do. And then of course, um, lady danger, Mac red lipstick always is like, pull, pull it out, put it on that like pulls me together. And I feel like confident and like a former editor, (laughs) I should have it on right now, but I don't, um, where is the first place you go to eat when you visit Dallas? Oh, Tex-Mex immediately. I love Mia's. I like me casino. I'll go anywhere. My sister and mom tell me is like, you know, I like it sort of like the more casual, the better, but chips, queso, margarita, fajitas, you know, I I think I haven't been to Mia's yet. My friend Emma loves Mia's too. And I have lived in Dallas since 2005. So <laughs> I feel like I need to add that to my You list. need to go. I'm going to a new place on Monday night, Odelay's. Oh, Odelay. It's right. It's right. Odelay. I go all the time. I went on Saturday. It's delicious. I okay. Feel I can't wait. The closest representation of what like Austin Tex-Mex is. So like Bob nice. Armstrong dip, that kind of thing. Fun. Uh, so I feel like it's a little different than the other Dallas Tex-Mex spots. Oh, good. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to splurge on? You know, I'm a shopaholic. I love a good handbag, a new shoe, a new sunglass. Like, I guess I'm an accessories girl. Yeah. I definitely, spl- especially now that my, I feel like my wardrobe is built on denim and knits and like cute button downs. I think it's all about the, like the fun accessory. So handbags and shoes. What's something you bought recently that you're loving? What have I bought recently? You know, it's actually what I'm loving. And it's funny. We were saying we should turn it into a swimsuit. I just bought the most beautiful dress from Lila Rose. Lila actually introduced me to my husband and made my wedding dress. And um, it was this beautiful black and white shift dress that has like a gorgeous square neck and is so flattering. It is, makes you feel so held in. It reminds me of like a stylish structure. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm going to wear it all the time. I mean, when was the last time you bought a cocktail dress you were thrilled by? So I'm, I'm very excited. 
Well, Lila Rose always makes cocktail dresses I want to wear. So she does. <laughs> and she knows she knows that you she knows that women need structure. She does. She doesn't and, skimp on fabrics. They always feel like nice and weighty. And yeah, what she does is so beautiful. Okay. One more. What advice would you give your younger self? Enjoy it. You know, it's a journey and just like live in the moment a little bit more. You know, I'm, I'm an ambitious person. So I'm always thinking about what next and where I'm going and what needs to get done. And I, I'm, I'm hoping in my forties to work a little bit more on just being present or celebrating, I don't know, the, the great moment, like, you know, doing a podcast with you and sort of getting to talk about all, all the things that I've done and, and being proud of that versus just always rushing ahead. And you should be proud. A lot to be proud of. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joyan, for joining me on the podcast. Tell this was so fun. Tell everyone where they can find stylist and shop and all of that good stuff. Well, you can follow us on Instagram at, at stylist, S-T-Y-L-E-S-T, um, or on our website at www.stylist.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. guys that's it for this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in if you're loving the podcast please consider giving beck and call a five-star rating and writing a review on apple podcasts be sure to follow along on instagram at beck and call podcast for audio clips episode visual guides and more behind the scenes content and you can also follow me at merit beck for fashion lifestyle and travel content thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you guys next week bye 